We are celebrating Good Shepherd Sunday today, and it is a usual opportunity for priests to talk about priestly vocations, uh, the need for and the beauty of those shepherds in the flock of the church today. But I'm going to use it to talk about a common question that relates to the priesthood. Even though the truth is, I don't hear it as much as I did maybe 20 years ago. And it's going to give me a chance to get a bit theological in our reflections together today. And that question is this, put in sort of a negative formulation, why can't women be priests? To put it in a positive formulation, why is the ministerial priesthood reserved only for men? Probably if you thought about this question or read about it, one of the most common answers would be because of the social customs of the time. Women were not teachers, their opinions were not valued as much in the patriarchal society, so that is why Jesus didn't do that, what didn't make women priests. However, upon further examination, this argument and this answer doesn't hold a lot of water. First of all, we know from the Gospel, Jesus was not beholden to the customs. In fact, that is one of the reasons that he was crucified. He openly talked to women, as we saw in the Samaritan woman in John chapter 4. And the earliest evangelists in the Gospels were women, individuals whose opinion or testimony simply was not accessible even in a court of law. Yet these were the first evangelists. Now, if we can think of it, to be honest, the more logical choice would have been to make women priests and not men. We all know that women tend to be more devout, they tend to be more prayerful, they tend to be more compassionate. The women willfully followed Jesus, but the men Jesus had to call and almost command that they follow him. And so, the real reason that the church believes that Christ made men priests and not women lies in an essential element of revelation, that is, God revealing himself to humanity. And that essential element of revelation is what we call the spousal analogy, that the marriage and the relationship between man and woman is used throughout the history of Revelation to describe the relationship God has with his people, Yahweh with Israel, or Christ with the church. You see it in Genesis, at the very beginning. Man and woman, Adam and Eve, is that primordial sacrament. Right in the in middle of Scripture, we also see the Song of Songs, that human love poem which is used to describe the relationship and the love of Yahweh to Israel. And then in Revelation, very clearly, the description of the wedding supper of the Lamb, marrying his bride, the church. But Jesus himself in the Gospels, on a number of occasions, describes himself as the bridegroom and coming to marry or to give himself and to marry his bride, the church, to purify her, to bring her into union with him. And so we believe that the priest, through his ordination, comes to act in a very special way to be conformed to Christ, to act in persona Christi, in the person of Jesus, specifically in the person of Jesus, the bridegroom. 
Unlike other denominations, the priest is not a pure functionary. Yes, anyone can preach. Anyone can lead a ceremony. Anyone can baptize. But the priest's existence is more symbolic, or what we would call sacramental. We are here to stand for something more than who we are. And that is to stand in person of Christ the bridegroom in relationship to the church who is feminine, who is the bride of Christ. Specifically, this is important during Mass, the most important thing that a priest does, where the priest, or Christ through the priest, gives his body, gives his blood in the Eucharist, and gives it to the church, who receives that gift of self, and the two become one flesh and bear fruit in sacramental grace. And so even John Paul II says that marriage has a nuptial dimension, that all the sac sacraments, or the, the sacrament of marriage flows from and is connected to the Eucharist. But I want to propose, thinking about this, the necessity of the priest in his body imaging Christ the bridegroom, a much deeper question. So if only men can be priests, that means that in a certain sense his masculinity is essential. We also know that Jesus was not just a man, but he was a male. And so that's the question. Why is Jesus a male? Why didn't he come as a woman instead of a man? We don't often think of this question, but it's very important to answer this question about the priesthood. As we've seen, if we're going to try to answer this, this answer of Jesus bowing to social customs simply will not work, particularly for something as important as the Incarnation. The most important event in history up until that time, oh, we don't want to fit anybody, we've got to fit in with what the culture says, so I'm going to go ahead and become a man. Even worse, an answer that it is somehow just arbitrary. The Trinity was sitting up in heaven one day, drinking cocktails, and they flipped a coin and said, all right, Son of God, you're going to be a man, not a woman, as if a flip of coin would have decided it. No, this was an intentional decision for God to become man and for him to become a male. Why? This is the important part of what I'm trying to talk about today. In his maleness, Jesus Christ in his body reveals the fatherhood of God. He is the image of God. He is the image of the Father. Now, granted, the Father is pure spirit. He does not have a body. He transcends masculinity and femininity. But Jesus has come to reveal him not just as some amorphous God, but as a Father who loves us. Not only through his words, through his talking about, as he does in the Gospel today, his knowledge of the Father, but in his very masculine male body. Jesus reveals the fatherhood of God. This is essential to our understanding of Christianity. It is a non-negotiable of revelation. But these revelations of the importance of the priest's masculinity and that spousal relationship with the church, but also of Christ's masculinity and its revelatory significance of revealing the fatherhood of God points to a couple of deeper truths. 
First of all, for us as Christians, biology is important. The body is important. This is the whole basis of John Paul II's theology of the body. The body is good and in a visible way reveals certain invisible realities. If the body wasn't good, then God would not have become man and taken on a body. Second, that sexual difference, the body is either male or female, is important and even essential to Christian revelation. Why? Because I've talked about that essentialness of the spousal analogy of masculinity revealing the fatherhood of God. Because of this importance, if you discard sexual difference, then you undercut almost all of Christian revelation. Over the course of the past few years, pay attention to the news, you'll realize there's risen a deeper awareness of what we call gender as opposed to sex. That sex is what we are biologically or even genetically. But gender tends to be the subjective experience of being a male or a female. And so we need to understand that subjective experience of what it is like to be a man or a woman, how it might be conditioned by social customs or various cultures, and even understand the experience of an individual who is in a male body but experiences being female. We need to understand that. That's a valid point of discussion. But one's subjective experience, as important as it is, does not deny the objective reality and importance of the body as sexed as male and female. Christian revelation is and will continue to be based on these objective facts more than any subjective experience. Now we can also pass to another issue, that of intersex people. People who, for a number of different reasons, mainly chromosomal, are not either specifically male or female in their bodies. And the church recognizes the struggle that many of these individuals may go through. And that they have their own subjective experience of what it's like to be in a body. But the fact of the matter is, the reality of intersex individuals does not negate the fact that there are two sexes. It does not constitute a third sex, a third essential way of being human. You get into the reasons of why this exists, why it is, but it can't deny the fact that we are still essentially created as male and female. Keeping this in mind, though, I want to loop back to the original question. I have a purpose to where I'm going here of why only men can be priests. And so if we're going to situate it, not just within the context of the priest as the bridegroom, imaging Christ the bridegroom, but the importance of Christ's masculinity, we are going to see that if the priest images Christ and Christ in his masculinity images the Father, then it is essentially the reason that priests must be men is because we are called in a very special and unique way to, like Christ, image the fatherhood of God to the world, to make it present, to make his love presence. 
This is why we call priests Father, not just for some secondary spiritual characteristics, because our goal and responsibility is to make presence the love of the Father. Male priests are necessary because the world needs to know in this very special, concrete, and embodied sacramental way the love of God the Father. And I can tell you, for me as a priest, now almost 18 years, I've come to a much deeper understanding experience of what that's like. Not only to be a priest, to be a spiritual father, but that experience of knowing that God the Father uses my humanity, my priesthood, to communicate his paternal love to other people. Now, this does not mean that men are more important or that women can't image Christ or show others the love of God the Father. Indeed, they can. However, we have to go back to the incarnation and the Son of God becoming a man in a male body to reveal the fatherhood of God. Masculinity takes on a special place in the priesthood in its sacramental significance. It was given by Christ becoming a male, a unique ability to reveal and communicate the fatherhood of God, especially in the ministerial priesthood. And so in conclusion, as much as we may understand this truth is very important in the history of Christianity, arguably it is even more important today as our culture goes through what we call that crisis of fatherhood. You hear it a lot about fathers who are absent, who are neglectful, who are not imaging and love of God the Father. And so this shows us how important fatherhood is, and as I'll say, priesthood. Cardinal Ratzinger, who of course became later Benedict XVI, says this, a father's absence, that is the problem of a father who is not present in the child's life, is a great problem of our time. And therefore, it becomes difficult to understand the profound significance of what it means to say that God is a father to us. And so, one of the remedies to this crisis of fatherhood, of explaining and showing what it means to say that God is a father to us, is the masculine male priesthood. If priests live out their vocation, it can be a great source of healing and restoration. And so that is my prayer, and that's the prayer that I ask for all of you today on this Good Shepherd Sunday, to pray for and encourage young men and priests to embrace their vocation, to be not only good shepherds, but to be fathers, and in their masculinity, and their body, to show forth the love of God the Father to the world. Amen.